Visioneers and welcome to Small Business Celebration. We're continuing our series on small business owners who are rising from recession. And in this particular episode, we are not walking through a door because we are already here. And we are interviewing a brand new guest who is going to teach us how to exit from the dream. This is Small Business Celebration. Join us as we learn from successful business owners and successful business leaders about who they are, from where their business has grown, what they have learned, and where their successful business is going. I'm your host, Michael I. Roberts, and we're going to learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Visioneers and welcome to Small Business Celebration and our guest today is Shiloh Logan, the owner of Logan's Pest Control. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Well, thank you for having me. For Visioneers who don't know who you are, who are you and what is it that you do? You bet. My name is Shiloh Logan. I'm the owner and operator of Logan's Pest Control here in Bakersfield and we take care of all the creepy crawlies that come in and invade your home. <laughs> <laughs> and we are currently in a recession. And this is your third business, so yeah. you've been through a recession or two before. What did Logan's Pest Control look like prior to COVID? That's a great question. When COVID hit, I had just pulled down a salesman. We had just ordered 50,000 door flyers. We were ready to go out and to take the city by storm. Right. And that was two days before the state went on shutdown. Oh no. And so we kind of had to put the brakes on some of our plans. Sure. But we were growing. It was prosperous. We had gone out. We were taking the word and the message of our company out to the public, and we we're getting a lot of great feedback. And we were, and it was just great business growth. Right. And so once COVID hit. Mm -hmm. We had to kind of reevaluate a few things. <laughs> yeah, to change a few things. It does. I had to change a few things. So, 50,000 flyers for one. That's right. <laughs> so, and so we, we were going out, we were laying out flyers in Northwest Bakersfield. We we're having some great feedback. And then once we couldn't do that anymore, it was this question what do we do? What did you do? Well, at that point, we had started to recognize that as we started to grow, I think my business was hemorrhaging a little bit more than I thought it was. We were, you know, when we're doing well, you tend to spend a little bit more money than maybe you think you are. And so what happened is it gave me the opportunity of being able to kind of turn into my own company, to be able to see exactly what places were perhaps we were spending a little bit more than we should, right. tightened the ship. And what the kind of the consequence of that is with the customers is that we started to realize because for me, with a pest control company, our main costs are in chemical and in reservices. Mm. And so whenever we go out to take care of a customer, we've got to know what products to use, we've got to know where to use them, and we've got to know what problems they're having so that we can treat them. Because it doesn't do any good if they have a roach problem and I'm treating for ants, you know? Right, so, right, right. So you've got to know the, product, the products you're using and where you're treating for. And then the main cost that bleeds you out are reservices. Mm. So if you didn't get it, the job done right the first time, or an infestation came in, then you have to go back for free. And wow. that's all part of the service. Right. So when COVID hit, what happened was we started to take a really good look at our company to see how can we get other numbers down, such as reservices, how can we get quality assurance up, and then to make our customers happy. Hmm. Because then after about a month after COVID, since we couldn't go out and do door knocking anymore, and we couldn't go out and lay the flyers anymore, right. then at that point, when we started paying more attention to the customers, all of a sudden, word of mouth started going around and all of our customers started having referrals and our business kept on growing. How did you harness 
those referrals because a referral coming in is gold. But it's what you do with that referral that's key. What did you guys, how did you guys utilize those referrals? There's no really magic formula I noticed, except when they call in, hey, so-and-so had just referred me to you, I have this problem. Mm. And so a lot of it was listening to what they had to say, taking care of the problem and going out and actually visiting with them. That was a really big deal is when you go out there and actually walk them through a step-by-step -step process. Mm. And it was in that moment when we started to really recognize that the more attention that we gave to them and their problems, mm -hmm. the more they felt like we were taking care of the issue. Because for me as a, as a professional, we can go out and we can take care of the issue in five minutes. Right. I know where to treat, I know what to treat with, I know what to treat for. We've done this before. We've done this before, <laughs> right? This is the business we're in. But the customers, they, it's almost like a little bit of hand-holding. Mm -hmm. And so when you come in there, there's a lot of education to, to let them know what's happening, to let them know what to expect, to let them know how this is going to work. Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't a, a one-stop shop that's just going to fix it in 24 hours. Right. It's going to take some time to be able to fix this problem. How did you learn how to do that? Because this is not something that's innate in most people. Most people are very self-serving. And this notion of going above and beyond is, is something that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. How did you learn this important skill? That's a lot of trial and error. Okay, all right. <laughs> so sure. from my perspective, from my particular background, I was in sales since I was a Boy Scout. You know, mm -hmm. I was that kid who's going around and knocking doors with the boy's life, and I was going out there and selling things door to door. Sure. And as I've gone over the last 20 years, I did some calculations, and I've estimated I've knocked on about a million doors in the last wow. 20, do wow. 20 years. So that's about 50,000 doors a year. That's some crazy math. Yeah. And so it, going out and talking to so many people, was an ability, was a, a chance that I had to be able to see what their concerns were mm. because I had to evaluate the times I was getting sales pitchy, the times that I started to, there were things that I wanted to say, there were right. things that I wanted to get across. Right. And those days I started realizing I just wasn't connecting with the customers. Mm. And so it was one of those moments when I started to realize that as soon as I started listening to what they were saying, as opposed to me telling them what I wanted to tell them, the relationship changed entirely. How did you transfer these in-person skills to a digital environment like we are in COVID where you can't necessarily be in person with another person? Yeah, social media is an entirely different animal, isn't it? And that is the golden question. That is, the, that is a great question nowadays right. because we can't go out a lot of times to the doors, to where the customers are at. Right. And so for us, we've built a social media platform on Facebook where we have over 20,000 followers. Mm, wow. It's taken time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but we noticed that the main key to that is posting regularly. Mm. You've got to post regularly and you've got to- what is, How much is regularly? At least two to three times a day. Really? So you don't want to go out, you don't want to overthrow, overload the customer as it were, right. and, and bog down their feeds, but at least two, three times a day is, is pretty standard. Holy cow. And now is that true on all social media platforms, or is that specific to one particular platform or another? Great question. So we primarily use Facebook. Oh. And so we have one that we do in the morning, in the, in the afternoon, and sometime in the later afternoon, evening. Okay. And it, it really doesn't even have to be all about our industry. A lot of it is about the community. It's about about the, the problems that they're having. Sometimes we'll post things from other, other industries even. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really just content that allows them to become engaged in it and that we can engage in the community and bring the community in, into that conversation. 
it, the key that I'm taking away from this is yes, you're posting three times a day on Facebook, but it sounds like only one or two of those postings per day is actually about you. Yeah. Yeah, well, as soon as you kind of take yourself out of it mm -hmm. and you turn it over, you'd be amazed at how much people are reciprocal to that. Mm. Because everybody likes to hear the sound of their own talking. Right. Everybody likes to hear that their own name. You right. know, that's one of those sales principles 101. And so when you give the other people the opportunity of being able to either talk about themselves mm -hmm. or you're able to talk about something else or someone else, that gives a lot of credibility to what you're doing. Now that you've developed this community of 20,000 plus followers on Facebook, and now that you, they're going through and you're giving attention to yourself once, but others two to three times a day, are you posting these posts personally yourself off your own mobile device, or are you automating these posts through another service so that you can free yourself up to do other things? Yeah, that's a great question, and the answer is yes. Okay, okay, sure. <laughs> we do a little bit of, of, of everything. So with Facebook, it's really easy because their business publishing tools allow you to schedule posts out mm. for long periods of time in advance. Right. And if there's something that I'm on my phone though, and I see something that I think would be highly shareable or that people would engage in contact with, you save it really fast, you get onto the app, you load it up, and you post it. And so some of it is thought well in advance, mm -hmm. and some of it's just spur of the moment too. But now, here we are nearing the end of 2020. Yeah. And you're selling your business. I am. It's an exciting time. <laughs> Why are you selling your business? My long-standing relationship with my business, and I, I, I've had businesses before. Three of them. Three of them. And for me, and this isn't to say this is the only way to do it, but I was mentored a few times by a few different people that I highly respect. Uh -huh. And one of the things they talked about was divorcing yourself a little bit from the identity of your business mm -hmm. to treat it more of as an objective thing in and of itself. Okay. And it's not to say that's the best way or even the only way of doing it. But it's it, what works for you. It was work for me. Sure. And so in doing that, I've build my businesses with an exit plan in mind. Mm. And so what it, I'm going to build this up and it's going to be a vehicle for me right here right now. I might stay with it or if another opportunity comes, I might go with that as well. And my business I was building up because my long-standing desire, my goal and kind of my dream is I've loved academia for a long time mm. and I've wanted to go back and I had an opportunity now to be able to get my doctorate and so I've been accepted into a doctoral program and that's what I love about business is that is being able to grow this industry, to be able to grow this business and have it be a vehicle and a tool that has allowed me to go off and fulfill other dreams. What criteria did you use to find a quality purchaser of your business that would take care of your customers? I was fortunate enough that one of my longtime mentors actually is from Bakersfield. Okay, and, and who I, is it? Dave Oxley. Okay. He owns Oxley Pest Control. In fact, he's been on the show before. He's been on the show before, yes, he has. When I came into Bakersfield, the idea was is that uh, Dave Oxley was going to train me as a technician as I was going to help him in sales. And, and I've worked with him in sales for years going back, 15 years. Right. And, and so as kind of push came to shove and, and I got the licensing. We just ended up staying in Bakersfield at the same time. You were his competition. And I ended up being his competition. I called him up at one point and I, and I was like, I'm sorry, I know we weren't meaning to be competitors. And he was very gracious about it. But when it came time to sell the company, I did. I looked at a lot of different companies and one of the things that I wanted to do with my company is I wanted to keep everything local. Mm. Because I, as a salesman, I've sold all over California. I've been in Sacramento. I've been down in the North Central Valley, the Mid Central Valley, San Diego. 
I've kept coming back to Bakersfield over and over and over again. It's the nicest community. It is the, the friendliest people, and they are so open, open and welcoming. So I wanted to keep the company here in town mm. by a local family-owned company. So it was not really hard, because I know, especially in the pest control industry, a lot of the bigger companies are selling to outside companies they and are. larger conglomerates. Right. And so when it came time for me, I wanted to look at more local family companies. and. Mm. Since Dave was there and I trained with him and I knew his service and I knew his professionalism, it wasn't a hard choice for me. And if visioneers want to reach out to Oxley Pest Control for their pest control services, how do they do that? I would highly suggest it. <laughs> Call Oxley's Pest Control at 661-325-2687. What was that number? 661-325-2687. And what is their website? oxleypest.com. And if you enjoyed Small Business Celebration, we encourage you to go ahead and like, subscribe, notify, and leave a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, the things that you want to learn more about, questions you want us to ask our guests like Shiloh, and also go ahead and reach out to us there on social media, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And when we come right back, we are going to learn what is next for Shiloh and his future. Any business can benefit from their employees' participation in Toastmasters. They will develop confident and competent public speaking skills. These foundational skills will aid them in communicating with customers, with coworkers, management, the media, and even in relationships. Join us. Learn to speak with confidence, engage your audience, and make your message stand out. Build a better you. Go to Toastmasters.org and click on the Find a Club button and build a better you. Go to Toastmasters.org and click on the Find a Club button and build a better you so that you can grow a strong and profitable business. Go to Toastmasters.org, click on the Find a club button and build a better you. We're here with Shiloh Logan and we're talking about what he's planning on doing next, which is very apropos because our visionary question of the segment comes from Ashley who asks, I've just sold my business and now I'm at a loss on what to do next. Any suggestions? Wow, that is a great question. <laughs> Because you've worked this hard to build this business, you've yeah. built it up very successfully, lot, you've spent a lot of time fretting over it, making payroll, doing all the challenges, and now, yeah, nothing. Now what? Now what? <laughs> That's a hard question to ask a lot of the times, but right. when I came into business, in fact, it was Dave Oxley, you know, we were talking about him before, right. and uh, he was one of the many mentors that I had that said, whenever you create your business, know your game strategy for your exit plan. Mm. And so for me, it was always kind of looking two or three steps ahead and never really anything definite, but at least to have an idea. So when it came time this year where I realized that my business and the numbers and everything added up where it needed to, that I could be able to go at, back to school and that this would give me the platform to be able to start the nonprofit we wanted to, mm -hmm. that just, it made sense. Mm. And I know a lot of the times I've had a lot of fr friends who are entrepreneurs 
and there's a lot of identity that goes into your business. Sure. There's a lot of your, your, you're pouring yourself into it. I'm Dr. So-and-so, or I am the attorney for, or whatever, exactly. Right, and so it's really hard to kind of give that up. Right. And then what's next? So for me, it was, I, I had to do a lot of preparation beforehand, and, and I'm gonna tell you what, as soon as you let that business go, there's a weight that's lifted off a little bit, right? But it's it's also there's also like a little mourning period where it's you've kind of lost an identity that, that you've had there before. The alarm still goes off at six o'clock or five o'clock in the morning, but now you're lying in bed going, now what? Now what? So for me, I am going back to school. I have been accepted to get my my PhD. I I have a fascination in religious studies. Okay. And so I'm going to Claremont and I'm going to pursue a PhD in religious studies, and I'm excited okay. for that. So that's that'll comprise the next several years of my life. That'll be a big sure. part of what's going to happen. And on that side, the nonprofit that we have it's called the Pax Project. What does Pax stand for? So Pax is Latin. It means peace. Oh, okay. So it's uh, the Peace Project. And we, we've started this, and it's been an idea that's several years in the making, because it was several years ago, I was reading Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. and I was reading Gandhi, and I have my own faith as I in the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And so I love reading the Sermon on the Mount. And when it came time where I was starting to look for books for my children about the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. I couldn't find anything. There has been a lot written about the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. There has been countless sermons given over the last 2,000 years yeah. on Sermon on the Mount. But why are you doing this project for kids? There's a few books that are here and there, but as I've looked, the most successful children's books are usually in a series. They'll take you through an entire thought process, and there's nothing there for them. Mm. And as I've had parents come to me, Shiloh, do you have anything that will help me teach my kids these principles? Do you have? And so for me in my sales background, I've had to learn a lot about persuasion and a lot about em empathizing with another person. Mm -hmm. And these are principles I find in the Sermon on the Mount that mm. Jesus is talking about. And what's fascinating now is that there are so many people that you've talked about that are already talking about these principles of reconciliation and of being able to work with people instead of settling your differences through, argue, or through arguing and through fighting. Right. that we can have more peaceful reconciliation means. What demographic of children are you approaching on this? Well, the first age demographic we're going to be at targeting is 5 to 11 years old. Mm. And so that's where we're with target. Why that age group? Because they're, that's when they're really coming into with their peers, mm. where they're starting to come into conflicts with their peers. One of my very first stories that I've gone back to all, all the time is I was nine years old. I was living in Mission Viejo, California. And I was playing soccer with a friend. He lived two, three doors down the street. And we were playing soccer and kicking the ball back and forth. And to this day, I don't remember what happened, but man, I was angry. He, he did something that made me so <laughs> mad. And when I came in, it was a Friday night. I remember it was a Friday night because my parents were going out on a date with each other. Right. And so they were a bit ready to get uh, go out on their date. And I came in in the worst mood. And my dad took time and he sat down with me. And I started to talk about this friend, about the, the mean thing he said to me and about and about how, how hurt I was. And about how, it was especially what I wanted to do back to him. Mm. Oh, I wanted to get my, kind of my vengeance, my comeuppance. Right. And, and he says, no, Shiloh. He goes, you have to treat him with goodness. I said, but he treated me so bad. And, and he says, well, there's this thing called the golden rule. And come to find out it's out of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. And he says, you need to treat others as you want to be treated. And I said, well, he obviously treated me this way, so that's how he wants to be treated. I'm going to go treat him that way. 
And again, my father was very patient with me, and he's, he's like, no, that's not how this works. And he talked it through, and I, I didn't want to accept it, but that time when I was nine years old made an impression on me that stuck with me for my whole life. Mm. Is you treat people with dignity regardless of how they treat you. And so I was that age, and that was very impressionable for me. Hmm. And so I know, especially with my own children, as they were going out and playing with their own friends, and we were talking about these principles with them, it just magnifies and multiplies. And all of a sudden, their friends start talking about these principles. Now, we don't talk about it in Sermon on the Mount principles all the time. They're not going out and talking about Jesus in these, in these moments with their friends. Right. But the effects are really powerful. You had this life experience with this friend of yours that you played soccer with. Something else has come along too in your life that has reinforced this. Otherwise, you wouldn't be pursuing this. What was that? You know, there was a moment I was sitting down at my computer and after I'd been reading Gandhi and Martin Luther King, this idea of Christian nonviolence came to my mind. And so I got on Amazon and I just typed the words in and a book popped up called Fight, A Christian Case for Nonviolence. And it was by an author, Preston Sprinkle. And it had four and a half stars and I don't know, a hundred reviews. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe that there would be a book on nonviolence on, with that many ratings. So I ordered it, I read it, and a lot of it sunk in with me. Mm. And that was really a catalyzing moment for me to recognize that there was a different kind of conversation, a different way to be able to approach conflict mm. than I had ever known before. And if that had been so revolutionary for me, who had studied a lot of the Sermon on the Mount before, and these ideas, I'd never been exposed to them before. They'd, they've been around for 2,000 years, but I'd never been exposed to them. And so I was like, I'm guessing other people haven't as well. And so there's a different way to talk about this that brings up some new ways of being able to settle conflict. Mm. And that was the beginning where we started to recognize that these kinds of conversations and these principles, they're just not very commonly talked about anymore. And so we wanted to create that space. And what better way to do it than to start with children. And then as soon as we get those books written and those, those materials published, then we'll, for teenagers, adults, and then the sky's the limit. How do you plan on taking the PAX project, taking these books for children, then teenagers, then adults? What is the lasting impact that you want to make with the PAX project? For me, it's to change the conversation that helps people realize that there's a different way to be. Hmm. And we, I've lived in my life on the spectrum of financial security. I've been on the lowest, lowest of financial security and I've ridden some pretty high waves. And I've noticed that my happiness was never gauged on where I was at on that wave. And I, but my happiness though was always found when I was living principles that I knew were true. And so as we bring those to other people, there are countless people I've been able to talk with and they message me privately and we talk a lot and as they apply these in their own lives, as they report back and they come back and they talk to me like, man, Shiloh, this is changing my life. You know, the peace that I feel, I'm able to do so many more things now than I was before. A lot of my old you know, guilt or shame or a lot of my old ways of thinking, the ways that I come to people who I've had conflicts with in my entire life, I don't have conflicts with them anymore. And that's my motivation of what keeps me going. There's this, there's this why in being able to help other people resolve those conflicts in ways that they couldn't think of before. And we'll be right back.
I wanted to take a moment and thank you, Visioneer Nation, for supporting us here in 2020 here on Small Business Celebration. It's been quite an adventure, but now that we're into our third season, we couldn't do it without you. And I really wanted to reach out and thank all of you for supporting us here on Small Business Celebration and keeping up with us and letting us know your thoughts on what you want to know, what you want to learn, and who you want to learn it from by reaching out to us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And I hope you get to spend this holiday season with the ones with whom you care most about. And happy holidays. We're here with Shiloh Logan, and our visionary question for this segment comes from Joshua, who asks, when do you start prepping or planning to sell your business? And do you sell it yourself, or do you use a broker? Oh, that's a brilliant question. So when it came time for me to sell my business, uh -huh. we were in that place where I already had someone in town that I knew I could trust, mm -hmm. so I sold mine directly. Right. But we did actually go through and interview several brokers, and that is a fantastic option. For me, the, I found that the more moving parts that the business has, mm -hmm. you probably want to go the broker route. Right. Uh, for me, I had several, I had, I had only had a few moving parts. Right. So, so it was a lot, little bit easier to do that in, in selling the accounts over. But did you start this business, or for that matter your other businesses with an exit plan in mind or was this or did you have anything where you started a business and then somewhere in the middle you decided to sell it so my, for the first two businesses were learning experiences. That was just experiment. Can we even make this possible? Right. And You're so you boys life magazines. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you jump in with both feet and it's just life is crazy and you're just doing everything you possibly can to get this thing to float. Right. And so with that being the, the idea is like it was hard to think of an end game when you don't even know if the here and now is going to work. Right. And so with the pest control company, this is a tried and a true thing. It was very easy. I was able to step into it. Easy is a relative term, right? But in being able to go out now, I've not. I think I, I said before, I've knocked over a million doors in the last twenty years. Right. So I knew sales worked, right? And I knew I could go out and do it. So there was a little bit of comfort in how to build the business, and I knew because of past experiences with other companies that pest control companies can be sold. Sure. So I knew that there was an asset under my feet. I knew that this will work, and right. so with that, that gave me a little bit more of an opportunity of knowing. There was an exit strategy and the numbers for me, it was really just finding out what my profit versus my losses were, my P&Ls, and then seeing what I, I could get for the business and what that would do for my future endeavors. And so once those numbers added up, then I was like, okay, I can make this jump now. And that's what worked best for me. It sounds like that your first couple of ventures, you were trying to stay afloat and then you ended up selling them successfully almost by accident. But it sounds like with Logan's Pest Control, you began that business with the exit in mind. Right. Yeah, with this one, I knew that there was gonna be an exit. Mm -hmm. With the other, with the two previous businesses, it was like, it was just, let's, let's just hope this even works. <laughs> <laughs> and oh boy, I sold it, that's right. <laughs> But one of the other things too that's fascinating about this is that each one of these businesses, to use the cliche, is a learning experience. And you made fewer mistakes with the pest control business yeah. than you did the first two. Yep. Part of that also comes from life experience as well. And that's also rolling over into your current project that you're working on. No man is an island. Yeah. What 
has happened in your in your life that affects the decisions you make every day? You know, there's one moment in my life that I go back to quite a bit. And, and there's a lot of happy memories in your life that you can go back to. Right. And sometimes it's some of those more harrowing experiences that end up becoming your biggest motivators. I really should have gotten that speeding ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And for me, when I was a teenager, my mother had bipolarism and schizophrenia, mm. and it went undiagnosed for a long time. Mm. And there was one time my father was a, what I call a serial entrepreneur, and uh, and so what was that? He made and killed a lot of businesses at times. <laughs> And so there was a lot of successful businesses that he did. And so I, I've, in a lot of ways, I followed in his footsteps. Right. But in one of the times he was away in business, my mom and I, in, in one of her episodes that she was in, we had an argument that escalated really fast. Mm. And it got out of hand. Mm. And that was a moment I realized that I had a lot of unaddressed anger. And that moment, I started to realize that I could either bury my anger down or I could take care of it and I can deal with it. Mm. And, and so as I've gone through, especially moving into the PAX project, I've looked back on that moment in my life and realizing that a lot of people's emotions come from experiences that, that haven't really been dealt with. Mm. And we deal and we bury a lot of anger and a lot of fear, mm. and that ends up manifesting in different ways. Some people take that fear and use it as a warm, fuzzy blanket. Right or wrong, probably unhealthy wrong. How have you taken this unhealthy fear, this unhealthy anger, and transformed it for good? You know, that's a, this is a really great question. You know, life is a lot of experiences, a lot of it trial and error. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are very patient with me. And as we move forward, yeah, there's a lot of fear in starting your own business, and there's a lot of uncertainty. Right. And a lot of that drives, you can either let that drive you moving forward, or you can let that topple you. And mm -hmm. I've been on both ends of that spectrum. And it it's really is through trial and error that you just keep on moving on to the next step. And I've been fortunate to have a support system around me, my wife, mentors, who have been there to support me the whole way through, right. and are able to kind of help guide me all the <laughs> Sure. As, as we make those next steps. Sure. It sounds like in our conversation so far that Dave Oxley has been a mentor of yours. He has been. How did you choose him to be a mentor? Well, occasionally you'll find in your life there are a few people who come along who have learned the one lesson that it's better to listen to somebody else's pain than to address your own. Right. And we've talked a little bit about that already. And Dave is one of those people. Mm. And so uh, as I, I came down to sell for him for the very first time in 2006, right. and we just stayed in contact. And he was always there with a listening ear. And I think in a lot of ways, that was really the first place where I learned to listen to people. Right. Because as I learned through, through his mentorship, that as he listened to me, he didn't even always have to give me suggestions. It was just the fact that someone was there to listen to it. And then you come up with your own your own solutions. Right. And so in that way, we, we had a great friendship. We ended up going into a kind of a personal friendship. We had a business friendship first, then it became more of a personal friendship right. afterwards. And, and, and so that friendship is maintained through the several years because of that. And now you're echoing that mentorship through your new project. Indeed. 
Yeah, the PACS project, that, as I said, that's what it's designed to do. We want to start helping children from the get-go. I realized as a teenager, I had a lot of unaddressed anger from when I was a child. And so if we can help children at first be able to learn how to resolve through those conflicts, and then through teenagers, and then through young adults, and finally adults, that, that there's a way to be able to get through this and have a way that we can find peace. Shiloh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for being on Small Business Celebration, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Any business can benefit from their employees' participation in Toastmasters. They will develop confident and competent public speaking skills. These foundational skills will aid them in communicating with customers, with coworkers, management, the media, and even in relationships. Join us, learn to speak with confidence, engage your audience, and make your message stand out. Build a better you. Go to Toastmasters.org and click on the Find a Club button and build a better you. Go to Toastmasters.org and click on the Find a Club button and build a better you so that you can grow a strong and profitable business. Go to Toastmasters.org, click on the Find a Club button and build a better you. Who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Join the visioneer tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.